Angie's list is now Angie, and we've heard a lot of theories about why. I thought it was an eco-move. Fewer words, less paper. No, it was so you could say it faster. No, it's to be more iconic. Must be a tech thing. But those aren't quite right. It's because now you can compare upfront prices, book a service instantly, and even get your project handled from start to finish. Sounds easy. It is, and it makes us so much more than just a list. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today. You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The following program is a production of Chilling Entertainment and the creative team at Chilling Tales for Dark Nights and a proud member of the Simply Scary Podcast Network. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com to learn more about this and our other weekly storytelling programs and become a patron today to show your support and get instant access to our extensive archive of downloadable ad-free tales of terror. Thank you for listening and enjoy the show. Good evening. I'm storyteller Otis Gyre, and I ain't your grandfather. From where I'm from, we don't do bedtime stories. And if that's what you were expecting, you're in the wrong place. If it's terrifying tales you're after, well then, I've got just the thing. Get comfortable, settle in, turn off the lights, if you dare. Your night is about to get a whole lot darker. (laughs) Who needs sleep anyway? Good evening. You're listening to Scary Stories Told in the Dark. Welcome to Season 7, Episode 11. I'm your host, Otis Jiry. And in this episode, I'll be performing five spine-chilling tales for you, all of them from author C.J. Canatelli, about fear-filled families, cryptic creatures, ominous occupations, awful addictions, and deadly decisions. You're listening to the standard edition of tonight's program, which contains the first two terrifying tales. If you'd like to show your support and enjoy an extended version of this and other episodes with twice the terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com and click Patrons in the upper menu to sign up today. Thank you for your support. Now, it's time to take a walk together down the moonlit trail. So, lock your doors, turn your lights down low, and settle in. The show's about to begin. <laughs> Our first tale tonight 
from C.J. Canatelli is the tale of a brother, his long-lost sister, and what the Greys did to their family. Without further ado, I present to you Grey. For as long as I can remember, my little sister has been locked away in McLean. That's the mental hospital in Massachusetts, and probably one of the best in the country, if not the absolute best. I was only eight years old when the incident occurred. For the most part, my parents kept me in the dark about what really happened to my sister. I only just found out her side of the story last night, and I'm not exactly sure what to believe anymore. The repetitive montage my parents always gave me throughout my life is a lie. That is, if I choose to believe a word, from the girl who has become nothing but a stranger in a padded room. I know it's naive, but something about her words and the way they flowed together made it very difficult for me to doubt her story. Sure, the doctors have thrown the label of hebephrenia, which has been explained to me as being disorganized schizophrenia. It just left me bewildered, seeing how my parents and the doctors viewed her in comparison to how I viewed her. They tossed her aside, cast her out of society, and destroyed any hope of normalcy she could have ever had. She was a brilliant painter at the age of six, the time of the incident. I always believed that if they ever let her out, she'd be the next Picasso. But keep in mind, before last night, it had been ten very long and confusing years without my sister. At first, my parents would leave me with my grandparents and travel the three hours to see her every weekend. It was always a struggle for them to leave, as I would scream, cry, hit, and bite in my failed attempts to force them to let me see her. Sure, older brothers have this reputation of being bullies to younger sisters, but that was never the case with Brittany and me. I loved her more than anyone else in the world, my grandparents included. The year before, we were given the opportunity to give Brittany her own bedroom to get her out of mine. My parents had these weird ideas about gender roles and didn't believe a growing young lady should share a room with her older brother. Brittany and I screamed and cried. I threw a lamp at my father. After a whole weekend of fighting, our parents relented and allowed us to continue sharing the room together. Let me be clear, there was nothing fucked up going on or anything like that. We were innocent children, and I took the role of big brother extremely seriously. I argued that when they first brought my sister home from the hospital as a newborn, my father told me it was my job to help protect her. I made that my mission throughout my entire childhood, and I felt like I'd be betraying her if I let them move her bedroom away from mine. Brittany had a terrible fear of closets and windows at night, and about three or four nights a week, she would come sleep in my bed on the bottom bunk, which was a full size in comparison to her twin bed above me. Brittany would insist that a big gray man would watch her through our bedroom window. Though I always welcomed her into my bed, I never let her know my secret. 
For almost a year, I believed it was all in her head. One night, she crawled into my bed and cried into my shoulder, waking me up. Don't look, she whispered. The big bury man's watching. I never wanted to upset her, let alone the fact that I never believed her. So, until that night, I never checked the window. I blinked the sleep away from my eyes and subtly glanced out the window. It wasn't intentional. I had no motivation to actually look. My eyes just happened to follow a brief movement on the other side of the glass. From the corner of my eye, I saw something. Whatever it was, it had a massive head and gray, sagging skin that covered protruding bones. For some reason, I didn't believe what I was seeing. I grabbed Brittany and rolled her onto her side, facing me, and keeping her back to the window. For about ten minutes, I was locked in a staring contest with whatever the fuck this thing was. The only movements it made was tilting its bulbous head from left to right quizzically. It seemed curious rather than menacing. Eventually, I blinked and the creature was gone. I believed I was having some kind of night terror, and never spoke about this to anyone. I firmly believed Brittany's story had gotten under my skin. Until last night, I rarely thought about the gray man at the window. It seemed almost like the remnants of a forgotten nightmare. It just didn't seem plausible to me. As the weeks turned into months, my parents stopped going on their trips to visit Brittany altogether, My parents actually removed all of the pictures of Brittany from the photo frames around the house and even from the family photo album. When I discovered a missing school picture in the hallway, I went on a mad dash through the house, desperately trying to find a photo of my sister. My parents refused to acknowledge what they'd done and sent me to my grandparents for a month. No matter how much I screamed and sobbed, There was no bringing the photos of my sister back. At school, I told the counselor that all the pictures were gone. She sat me down and told me that when something bad happens like this, it might be easier on my mom and dad to hide the pictures away for the time being. It took her three hours to convince me that it would be all right. I just couldn't stop crying. I wanted so desperately to see a photo of my sister. The counselor left me alone in the room for about 20 minutes. When she came back, she smiled, holding a book in her hand. This is the school yearbook that's coming out at the end of the year, she said, opening the book and looking at the kindergarten class my sister was in. She took a pair of scissors from her desk and cut out a photo of my sister. She handed it to me. Keep it a secret. If your parents don't know, they can't take it away. I had a Velcro wallet at the time for my lunch money, and it had a couple of slots for pictures. It was the first picture I ever put in my first wallet. Over the years, I transferred that photo from wallet to wallet. I kept it as it was my prized possession. When I got my license, my parents put a GPS tracking device in my first car. They wouldn't let me leave the city. When I turned 18 last week, to put it briefly, I told them they could go fuck themselves, grabbed my shit, and hit the road. 
I called my grandparents, who told me which hospital my sister was in. She was in Massachusetts. She really was only three hours away from my home in New Hampshire. I sped about halfway there, but then slowed down to a speed so slow it wasn't safe on the highway. What would I even say to a girl who's been locked up for ten years? Did she remember me? Did she even want to see me? Did Brittany hate me for not being able to help her? I showed my identification when I got in, and they made me remove my belt and everything in my pockets. They led me down a long hallway into a room on the right. They left me outside the door and told me to just knock and go in. The two nurses left me there, and I stood outside the door for five minutes, unsure of what to say to my long-lost best friend. Without overthinking it, I knocked on the door gently. I heard a frail, unfamiliar voice call from inside the room. Can, she said. I realized Brittany's voice had lost its high pitch over the years. Her words sounded almost monotone. I entered the room to see my sister staring blankly at the door. A puzzled expression crossed her face. She wore loose hospital clothes, and I gasped when I saw the scars of what had once been very deep cuts in her wrist. She didn't like my reaction and seemed very self-conscious, pulling the sleeves on her long shirt over her hands defensively. "'Who are you?' she asked. "'What do you want?' "'It's me, Brett,' I said, tears filling my eyes. "'It's Brandon.' Brittany stared at me for a long moment, but she stood up off her chair and came to face me. Her expression didn't change in the slightest. It was the most blank expression I had ever seen a human being wear. She approached me and lifted her left hand, touching the side of my face. I knew she always did this as a child when she would see a long-lost relative. Brandon, she said flatly, you left me here. I instinctually wrapped her in an uncomfortably tight hug and sobbed loudly. Brett, never. They hid you from me, and I found you. I love you, Brit. Please, please tell me why they did this to you. I want to help. I want to get you out of here and take you to live with me. She hugged me gently and led me half-heartedly to a set of chairs. I sat down with her, and she stared at the wall. She began speaking rapidly, but in a monotone voice. The incident, she said. The barbie clock said, 11.08. It was the big gray man who opened the window, Brandon. You were still awake downstairs and watching a movie with Dad. It happened so quickly. Everything went white. The man was the last thing I saw. Next thing I know, I'm surrounded by white lights and several big gray men. They touched me in bad places, tortured me, and said big words I didn't know. In the blink of an eye, I was back in bed, facing the clock. It was 11.17. That's when I screamed. I, I kept screaming for days. They brought me to the hospital, then another, and another. 
I've been here for years, and no one believes me. My mouth had fallen open in shock. All I remembered from that night was the screaming and my parents not letting me near my sister. The last time I saw her was when the ambulance brought her away. My memory flooded with images of the night I saw the big gray man outside the window. If she was crazy, why did I remember it? That's when I took action. I stood up and knelt in front of her, grabbing both sides of her face. Granddad gave me the number for this lawyer. I told her, I'm not leaving until I can take you home. I'm getting an apartment anywhere you want. It'll be like the old times. The times before all this. Please, Britt, give me a chance. I just know I can get you out of here. Brittany did something that proved all of her doctors wrong. She smiled. Her type of schizophrenia was supposed to mean that she had something called the flat effect, meaning she doesn't smile. If they were so right about her, why the fuck was she smiling? I love you, Benton. She giggled, her voice regaining some of her childhood glee I remembered. You're always there to save me. I refused to leave the hospital last night. I'm typing this on my laptop using the hospital's Wi-Fi. No, I don't believe the doctors, and I don't believe my parents or anyone else. I believe Brittany, and as I type this, two attorneys from the firm are filling out papers. The head doctor has agreed to release her into my custody, as she's only 16. This has eaten my entire savings from my high school job at Walmart, but I'll never tell Brittany that I've barely got enough to get us a cheap place. I can get a job, but there's no way I'll be going to college. I'm hoping there's still hope for Brittany. I'm determined to give her the normal life she was robbed of so many years ago. $6,000 to get custody of my sister. My total savings was just under $15,000. We'll be all right. We'll get by. I'll get a job and she can go to school like she should be doing. They've got her tutors here and she's almost up to date on her education. I congratulated her for being on the road to graduating when she turns 19. I made a big deal and promised to take her on a shopping spree when we get out of here. I'm going to make reservations at the nicest restaurant I can find. I'm going to do all the shit my parents failed to do. I'm looking at listings now. There's a one-bedroom apartment in Maine that I can afford. All I need now is our old bunk bed from storage and a professional to install bars on all the windows. Whoever and whatever did this to her, to us, won't be coming back. Even though Brittany is sure that if she gets out, they'll return for her. I've got a handgun on me at all times. My sister will live a normal life. But she will always carry the burden of the greys on her shoulders. Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. If you own a home, you know how much work it can take, whether it's everyday maintenance and repairs or making dream projects a reality. 
It can be hard just to know where to start, but now all you need to do is Angie that and find a skilled local pro who will deliver the quality and expertise you need. Angie has over 20 years of home service experience, and they've combined it with new tools to simplify the whole process. Bring them your project online or with the Angie app, answer a few questions, and Angie can handle the rest from start to finish or help you compare quotes from multiple pros and connect instantly, which means you can take care of just about any home project in just a few taps. Because when it comes to getting the most out of your home, you can do this when you Angie that. Download the free Angie mobile app today or visit Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I dot com. I hope you enjoyed Gray, as written by C.J. Canatelli and performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed that first story and would like to see more of Ms. Canatelli's work and help support her while you do, I'd like to encourage you to pick up a copy of one or more of her books available now on Amazon. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash cj. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash cj, and you'll be redirected to Amazon, where you can explore the author's catalog and get your fix of the fearsome for months to come. And just so you're aware, we're an Amazon associate meaning a portion of your sale made using that URL is provided to us when you complete your purchase. So you can rest assured you're helping everyone involved when you get your copies today. All of the stories in tonight's episode, for uh, your example, come directly from the pages of CJ's September 2019 collection of horror short stories, The Depravity. You'll find paperback and Kindle ebook editions of the book on Amazon, along with an audiobook version narrated by none other than yours truly, Otis Jiry. Alongside the five stories featured in this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark, you'll get five more of C.J. Spine Tingling Tales, representing some of her very best work. Once again, visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash cj to pick up your copy of C.J. Canatelli's collection, The Depravity, as well as the wide variety of other collections she's released. You won't be sorry you did. And when you do, be sure to leave a five-star review and a kind word and let her know you heard about her work here on this show. Thanks again for your support of this program and of tonight's featured author. Up next, we've got a second tale of terror for you, Courtesy once again of C.J. Canatelli. In it, a married couple, paranormal investigative team, are called to New England to investigate the sightings and alleged attacks by a mysterious and vicious cryptid. Will they, and their marriage, survive their own encounter with the unknown? Stay tuned to find out. Without further ado, I present to you the Vermont Incident. I won't give my name here, simply because if you have any interest in the paranormal, cryptozoology, or freakishly bizarre and unexplainable occurrences, you would recognize my work. If you believe in this shit, I'm your worst fucking nightmare. I will say that I am married, in my early 30s living in New England. My wife is my investigative partner. For the purposes of this story, 
We'll call my wife Diane. That's all you need to know about me, as I'm not the subject of this event. To clarify, I do not believe in cryptids, ghosts, or monsters. I've dedicated my life to disproving fraudulent pseudoscientific information being spread about things that don't exist. Through the years, billions of dollars have been wasted investigating such wild claims. The saddest part, for me, is all the people who've wasted their lives on something they truly believed in. Then again, you could argue that I've wasted my life on something determined to destroy the frauds you see in the media. I'm a professional debunker, so to speak. Throughout my years, I've outed many psychics, cryptozoologists, and general con artists. I've destroyed their careers. Ever wondered what happened to all those ghost-hunting shows and why they never last long? They're staged, and I can prove it. I've proven it time and time again, but that's a story for another day. I guess you can say this story began, for me anyway, in mid to late 2003. I was in Mexico for a month researching a series of cryptid sightings that I don't uh, get into too much detail about. Basically, I spent a month chasing down leads and eventually staking out the locations only to disprove it by capturing the creature. It was a rabid dog. Some people will put you through hell if they think they can make a quick cameo on the local news. I got a call from our office as Diane was driving us back to the United States, where we would return the rental car, hop on a plane to New England, and write a very angry article on the fraudulent news reporting. One of our researchers got his hands on a few police reports filed in upstate New York, both of which were from the same couple. Now, the public has a tendency to think that police report translates into evidence to be used as fact. He gave me a summary of the reports, but names had been redacted. That piqued my interest, as typically the names of these people are typically out there in the open because they want attention. The first report was for a missing child, the couple's son. The family owned a large home with a lot of land, and allegedly the father was watching his son outside when he became distracted with a newspaper. The father noticed his young boy heading into the woods, and he called for him to stay in the yard. The father then proceeded to get distracted again, for approximately three minutes. At this point, he looked up from his newspaper and his child was gone. The father didn't immediately panic, assuming the little boy couldn't have gone far. He entered the woods at approximately 3.15 p.m. to look for his son. After five or ten minutes, the father began to panic. He decided to run inside to call the police, but on his way back, he saw a yellow piece of fabric on the ground about... Twenty feet away from where he was walking. He remembered his son had been wearing a yellow shirt and hurried to the object, finding that the shirt had been torn to pieces and was soaked with blood. Police were called and search parties were launched. Within the next three days, they found one of the boy's shoes and his baseball. The boy's body has never been found. I was skeptical as to where my research was going with this. 
So a kid ran off in the woods and got himself mauled by a bear or something. How did this concern me? The second report was filed six days after the boy's disappearance. The couple also had a daughter, who was two years younger than her brother. She slept in a bedroom across the hall from their bedroom, located on the second floor of the house. The father came into the bedroom, complaining about hearing noises that appeared to be coming from the attic. The couple assumed it was an animal and went to bed. A few hours later, at approximately 2.35 a.m., the couple awoke to a loud crash coming from somewhere in the house. The parents were immediately on their feet, rushing to check on their daughter, who was now screaming. The parents entered the room and saw a crouched, hairless figure with gray skin and sunken black eyes. It was hovering over the daughter's bed. The creature caught sight of them and crawled out of the now-broken second-story bedroom window. The mother rushed to her daughter, who was dead, while the father was on the phone with the operator. Her body was completely mangled, but my researchers spared me the details. At first, I laughed at him. I know it sounds harsh, but I was not about to get involved in two parents guilty of killing both of their kids and blaming some monster in the woods. My researcher insisted that he only brought it up because sightings of this creature had been reported all throughout New England. I asked for a more in-depth description of what we were looking for, and my researcher paused for a long moment. Here's the thing, he said, coughing quietly before continuing. This isn't exactly recent. Yes, there have been an uptick in accounts in New England, but this definitely mirrors a lot of classic folklore. The people up in New England are calling this thing the rake for some reason I'm unsure of. I muffled a laugh. <laughs> the rake? <laughs> Is this a joke? We can't find a source on where the name came from, he sighed, but similar accounts have been reported by the Navajo reservations on the other side of the country, but they call them skinwalkers, I sighed, cutting him off. God, will they give it up already? It's been debunked for several reasons. The primary reason is that it's described as being a witch using animalistic forms. But if it were in the shape of an animal, all the vocal cords wouldn't be able to emulate voices. I know, he said. But the physical description is there regardless. Then again, leave Navajo legend out of this, I've seen some people claim a stray dog was really a skinwalker. None of those accounts are credible, as it's the whole my-uncle's-cousin's-sister's-neighbor bullshit. Urban legend. At least be respectful about it, I joked. These people actually believe this. I'm in the business of debunking frauds, not religions. I know, I know, he said. You and Diane are scheduled for a cabin in Vermont tomorrow afternoon. You'll be there from tomorrow till next week's Sunday. Ten days should be fine. It's in the middle of fucking nowhere, and every single resident of this bullshit excuse for a town has supposedly seen the rake. They've basically closed off half the town because they're terrified. You'll be in the epicenter where the first sightings occurred. The family's evacuated, and you've got a lot of ground to cover. It's a big property. 
Aside, explained to Diane that we wouldn't be home for almost another two weeks and had to wait at the airport for three hours to get on a flight to Vermont instead of our original destination. Then there was the issue of spending hundreds of dollars to check all of the baggage with camera and equipment. We never travel light. Fast forward to us arriving on the side of a small town in Vermont that had been virtually quarantined by a local small-town police chief with nothing better to do with his time. I showed him my credentials. He promised to pray for us, and I rolled my eyes. The cabin was large, but it was by no means luxurious. I let Diane stay in the house and unpack everything, while I spent two hours setting up our equipment as far into the surroundings as I was willing to go. Waste of time, now that I think about it. Waste of fucking time. That night, I let Diane sleep as she had been driving like crazy for the past month. I sat in front of our command station and, with the help of a case of energy drinks, watched the monitors all night. We had 62 cameras I had to constantly be checking. At around one in the morning, I finally found something. All in the span of about ten minutes, 47 of our cameras had been inactive. That means the cameras were not recording and had most likely been severely damaged, likely beyond repair. In all my years, nothing like this has ever happened before. Sure, I've lost a few devices here and there, and occasionally a couple would go offline temporarily. But these cameras had clearly been tampered with. I was fucking livid. I firmly believed that some local hicks were fucking with my equipment trying to scare me off. I was having none of that. I put on some warm clothes, was quiet as to not wake Diane, and realized I had no choice but to go see what the fuck was going on. I didn't believe in God at that time, but I know a higher power was looking out for me that night. Not only did I remember the combination to our gun safe, but I had the sense not to bring Diane with me. My greatest fear is losing Diane, and as she's asthmatic, she would not have been able to run. She would have died that night like I almost did. I don't know why, but I kept the gun loaded. I was originally planning to use it to scare off whatever rednecks were fucking with over $250,000 in equipment. Something in my gut told me to load it, check it twice, and put extra rounds in my pocket of my trench coat. Carried a small but very bright flashlight and began my journey into the surrounding woods. I immediately headed in the direction of the damaged cameras. It took me about 20 minutes to finally reach the location of the damaged cameras. Along the way, all of the cameras I checked were functioning. I jogged most of the way, only stopping to examine equipment. I didn't feel good about leaving Diane alone in the house with a bunch of crazed hillbillies running around. When I reached the first set of damaged audio and video equipment, I instinctively cocked my gun. No rednecks could have done this amount of damage. These cameras were mauled, and half of them appeared to be bitten. I realize now that it may have been because they definitely appeared to be out of place. 
They were red in comparison to the green and brown surroundings. This would likely make them a target to any real predators. For the first time in my life, I began to believe in something without seeing it firsthand. With a shaky hand, I reached in my pocket and pulled out my audio recorder that I used for memos. If I was going to die in these woods, I'd leave Diane one final message. I whispered into the recorder, letting her know why I was out here, what I initially was thinking, what I saw, and that I loved her more than anything in the world. Tears filled my eyes as I turned off the recorder, realizing that if the stories were true, Diane would never get to hear my last words. The recorder would likely be lost, gone the same way my body would be. Holding my gun at the ready, I began backtracking. I tried to stay as silent as possible. The realization that no human could do such damage to my equipment left me praying that I would make it back to the cabin. I was going to fucking take Diane, and we would hide in the crawl space until morning. I stopped walking when I heard a very strange sound coming from somewhere to my left. It wasn't consistent with human footsteps. It sounded more erratic, less controlled. Whatever it was, it sounded like it was walking on more than two limbs, and it was moving fast. In a flash, I turned to face the noise, standing my ground as my training had taught me. I had the upper hand. I had a loaded firearm in this animal. This creature couldn't hurt me. At least that's what I kept trying to tell myself. With quivering hands, I stared into the trees, catching a glimpse of something gray. My researcher's words replayed in my mind, but I didn't want to get trigger-happy and kill some hick having a laugh. Show yourself! I screamed, standing my ground and masking my terror. I've got a gun! This was when it happened. All at once, this creature, the rake, emerged from the bushes and trees. It moved so unnaturally, limbs flailing and looking like something out of that movie, The Grudge. It just didn't move like any animal I had ever seen before. It was hunched over and about three feet tall in that position, leading me to believe that if it could stand up straight, it would tower over me at around six or seven feet. I'm tall, but I had nothing on this thing. I think my aggressive yelling caught it off guard, and I think the flashlight confused it. It let out a high-pitched cry, and for a brief moment, I thought it feared me. I was dead wrong. It wasn't a wail of fear. It was a battle cry. In two seconds... The thing was about two feet away from me. I unloaded my clip, shooting at it wildly and missing most of my shots. One shot, however, appeared to hit it in the arm or shoulder. I couldn't be sure. Wherever I hit it, it slowed it down substantially. I didn't waste time. I turned around and hauled ass, reloading my gun as my combat boots sunk into the mud beneath my feet. After I made it a few yards, I heard it running after me, but slower this time. I turned around for a brief moment, emptying my second clip on the thing. This time it ran behind a tree. Once again I ran and reloaded. I didn't hear it following me, but I didn't slow down. 
Before I knew it, I burst through the back door of the house and locked it. I ran into the hallway and began pushing a massive bookcase in front of the door. I made so much noise, Diane came running down the stairs. I didn't have time to explain, so I reached in my pocket, handed her my recorder, and told her to listen to the last ten minutes. I had to physically grab my wife by the arm as I pulled the staircase from the ceiling. I shoved her up the stairs, refusing to hear any of her demands for answers. All I kept repeating was four simple words. Listen to the tape. Once I was sure Diane was secure in the crawl space, I grabbed both sides of her face and kissed her for a long moment. I had to defend her, even if it meant losing my life to do so. She had already heard most of what had happened from the recording and sobbed loudly, begging me to hide with her. I told her I'd protect her and closed the staircase, trapping her inside. I darted to the control station and realized my server was completely down. That meant, in short, that I could see the six remaining cameras surrounding the house, but they would not record. I heard Diane sobbing quietly, but I knew that was because I was in the room right below her call space. I searched desperately to find the heavy-duty guns we kept for emergencies like these. It took me several attempts to get the combination on the locks right because of how shaky my hands were. I watched the cameras, loading my rifle and lighting a cigarette. I grabbed a half-empty bottle of scotch from the dresser and took a long swig. I nearly spit it out when I saw the creature crawling on one of the cameras. Then another. It was circling the house, but it seemed injured. Twenty minutes before the sun came up, the creature was gone and I'd packed up everything we had, keeping a close eye on the cameras. Armed to the teeth, I brought everything to the car. I didn't want Diane to panic. The moment the sun illuminated the world, I got Diane out of the crawl space. I kissed her repeatedly as she slapped me on the chest for not letting her help. I basically dragged her into the car and we got the hell out of Dodge. We weren't able to salvage any of our cameras. We lost over $250,000 in equipment. But we made it out alive. After that, Diane and I decided we finally wanted a baby. We'd tried dozens of times to write a response to the stories about the rake on the website. To this day, the cryptid article on the website is the only one listed as status probable. I hope you enjoyed the Vermont incident. My author, C.J. Canatelli, as performed by yours truly. If you enjoyed the tales you've heard tonight, I'd like to remind you one last time that tonight's featured author has an amazing selection of her stories for sale on Amazon.com. Visit simplyscarypodcast.com slash CJ. That's simplyscarypodcast.com slash CJ, and you'll be redirected to Amazon, and you can get started giving yourself the creeps today. And again, if you give any of Miss Canatelli's works a try, please leave her a quality review and a kind word, and be sure to let the author know you heard about her on this program, and that Otis Jiry sent you. It would mean a lot to me. 
While you're waiting for your books to arrive, you can learn more about CJ and get her latest updates by following her on social media via Facebook or Twitter. You can also see more of her work for free on Reddit, where she publishes under the handle at CJ Horror Author. Before we go, I'd like to take a moment to thank you for joining me for this episode of Scary Stories Told in the Dark. If you enjoyed what you've heard on today's program, please take a moment to stop by our iTunes page or wherever else you listen to your favorite podcasts and leave us a five-star review and a kind word. It makes a huge difference and would mean a lot to us. If you'd like to hear a premium extended edition of tonight's and all of our other episodes featuring Twice the Terror, visit simplyscarypodcast.com today and click the Patrons link in the menu at the top of the screen. You'll find yourself at chillingtalesfordarknights.com where you can purchase season passes for this podcast and our other quality storytelling programs or become a patron for as little as $5 per month and get access to our entire audio archive dating back to 2012. All of it ad-free. If you happen to use Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube, you can follow and subscribe to Chilling Tales for Dark Nights there, where you'll get all of our latest updates and new releases and have the chance to interact with us each and every week. You can subscribe to me on YouTube as well at the Otis Jiry channel, where you'll find releases of my series, Horror Storytime, dating back to 2014, and you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, too. Just search for Otis Gyrie. Until next week, stay spooky and get some sleep. If you can. <laughs>
to connect anytime and get the latest updates on this and other programs and my channel. If you're listening on the Chilling Tales for Dark Nights YouTube channel, do us a favor and hit the subscribe button and the bell notification icon for CTFDN as well to get more spooky tales from me and the crew and another episode of this program each and every Wednesday. And don't forget to hit that thumbs up button to tell us how we're doing and leave a kind word or a request. And don't forget to visit us at ChillingTalesForDarkNights.com and consider supporting the team by becoming a patron. In addition to helping us out, you'll get exclusive access to our audio archive and ad-free downloads of all your favorite stories, including those you've heard on this program. As for me, I'll be back next Wednesday with more terrifying tales to keep you up all night. But that's all right. Who needs sleep anyway? <laughs> You can live out your MasterChef dreams when you find a professional on Angie to tackle your dream kitchen remodel. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The Angie's List You Know and Trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today.